the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book, and you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is, hi, Mike Z is, hi, Mike Z is, the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and today on the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by the young OG, Larissa Bolivar, who is a woman with many titles, including founder and CEO of Bolivar Hemp Company, founder and principal of Bolivar Consulting, the founder and executive director of the Cannabis Consumers Coalition, and you know, along the years that you've been in this industry, you've done and community, you've done so many other things that, you know, maybe we'll get into a few of them. Um, but really, someone who has not only put in years and years and years of energy, effort, passion, and, and work into this industry, but someone who has succeeded along the way and has had longevity and persevered and continues to be a force of change in the cannabis industry. So Larissa, I'm so thrilled to have you here today. And I would love if you could do a little more detailed intro and share your story and, and we'll go from there. Okay. Um, and I did give you permission to cut me off at any point because it's a lot to fill in. Um, the long and the short of it is I've been in cannabis for 20 years, um, just shy of 20 years. I've been a consumer almost 30. I'm 44. Um, I started consuming uh, shortly before my 16th birthday and discovered right away it was medicine. I had a very traumatic childhood and was not that great of a student. And then I started smoking weed and contrary to what everything I was being told by D.A.R.E., I became a good student. <laughs> so I was like, they're lying. <laughs> Something. <laughs> All of a sudden I was like enthusiastic about doing homework and I still am to this day because I'm a nerd. But anyhow, I didn't know I was a nerd until I started smoking weed. So um, <laughs> imagine that. Um, but that actually, that actually has um, been, you know, the undercurrent of my activism this whole entire time. And, and I'm from D.C. I was born in D.C. and I grew up in Arlington, Virginia, and Falls Church City, where I went to school in George Mason High School. So I grew up in a very politically charged community. The high school I went to, a lot of the, the kids that I graduated with, their parents were in diplomacy or, or, you know, things that we can't talk about, and, you know, just all kinds of interesting stuff. But what that meant was uh, the school I went to, which was semi-private, um, was just very much into um, issues. So... I started my career early as a technical recruiter for it, just a professional career as a technical recruiter, staffing contracts in the DC area, predominantly um, government contracts. And then uh, still able to smoke weed though, because I didn't have to have a clearance to staff high clearance positions, if that makes sense, you know, because um, I wasn't working with sensitive data and I didn't have to have it in order to interview people. So, <laughs> um, but that's also how I found out a lot of people in the DC area do consume weed. And it's like this big weird secret in society. And so I moved to Colorado. My ex-husband had moved here in the late nineties. He's from Virginia. He was my weed guy. He convinced me to move out to Colorado um, in 2001 after they legalized and he'd already been, he was already growing. So um, mind you, my mom was in law enforcement at the time and my dad is an immigrant from Peru 
very, and, and a bowl of art, and that's a whole other book and conversation. So, but my family basically moved here seeking asylum because of the drug war. So my dad did not want me to be involved in anything with drugs. So I didn't tell my parents why I was moving to Colorado. I just moved to Colorado and they're like, oh, okay. And so they had a really nice career and what have you. So I go to come to Colorado and there was nothing, there was no program. There was just amendment 20. It just passed. We had this amendment that was a citizen driven amendment in Colorado. We have um, that ability with our legislative process and the legislatures weren't happy about amendment 20. So implementing it in the beginning was really scary. So my, my, my ragtag group of activists and myself um, found the first doctors to write recommendations in mass and we shepherded the first few thousand patients through the registry and started creating programs around that. And there were other groups doing this as well. Ours just happened to be the loudest and most organized because my Ken Gorman, who was helping us also helped pass Amendment 20 and he was the or he founded the Denver 420 rally, the original one, which was an activist rally. Now it's a festival, it's completely different owners and what have you, organizers. And so um, through that, we created a dispensary model um, in Colorado. I had one of the first dispensaries in the state in Denver called the Colorado Compassion Club. And that's, um, during that time I got raided, I got home invaded, and then I was constantly harassed by police. So I dissolved that, went back to Virginia in 2008, um, still stayed in cannabis, but, and this is really important to mention, I worked at a company named Gridpoint, which had a billion dollar valuation where the CEO, <laughs> yes, where the CEO, <clears throat> it's a clean tech company. And they, they call themselves now an internet of all things because they're an energy management company, but they started as an energy storage company working in clean tech in DC. So talk about a crash course in everything, business policy, you name it, because in clean tech, you're working against the oil and gas industry and same with cannabis. One of the advisors to our board was James Woolsey, who's, you know, former CIA director, who's a hemp lobbyist. Now I met him personally. He literally took his hat off and put it on my head. And I'm like, (laughs) 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 which is crazy because, you know, my background's cannabis and I'm like, how am I in this world? But that's how, you know, that's how close, that's how, big cannabis is if you can just imagine like that's why i freaked out i was like this is big whatever we're doing is big and so while i was working at gridpoint the founder i worked i assisted the executive staff i like ran the front desk and then i got promoted into marketing i was getting my bachelor's in psychology i started at regis here in denver which is a jesuit university and then they actually gave me credit for social work for doing the work i did in early cannabis I went back to DC because I was getting divorced where my family is. So here I am in school in this billion dollar valuated company where this guy had raised $250 million and there's Goldman Sachs executives and Morgan Stanley executives, all these big executives coming in, heads of state, just crazy, right? And so, you know, I was at an intersection and that's when I decided just to come back to Colorado. My uncle convinced me to come back to Colorado. I got my master's. In 2013 was when I moved back. My master's is in public policy with a concentration in cannabis policy reform. I'm not a huge fan of policy. I'm a businesswoman. But in cannabis, we are building the fire truck on the way to the fire. And we are a startup industry of startups. And so that means that we need to have 
really good knowledge of startups and how to scale and how to grow as well as policy knowledge. So having my recruiting background, I've worked at a couple, uh, two successful startups now, which is very rare because only 10% of startups succeed. Um, I worked at a government contracting startup called STG from the ground floor up. Um, well, as they were tra transitioning, I wouldn't say from the start, but from that very critical scaling point when you go from startup to like corporation and same with grid point. So that right there, I think is priceless knowledge in business. So I feel like I got my business degree while working in business and then I felt okay getting a policy degree. All of this combined you know, and this is why I have the three businesses. In 2014, I founded the Cannabis Consumers Coalition because I noticed right away, because of my background and having come from DC and having really impressive references, I didn't really like how the regulations were going here. They seemed really protectionist and it just seemed to be building itself on that. And I started noticing a lot of antitrust issues impacting consumers. And then the, the main consumer group that was around at the time was their board was stacked with industry lobbyists. So, you know, you're not defending consumers when you are defending companies. So I started the Cannabis Consumers Coalition uh, with a, a gentleman named Matt Fox. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a tough business because we're, a, you know, we're like a watchdog for the industry. And then people get mad at me and they're like, well, who are you to do that? Well, I'm the person that I'm on the cover of newspapers with my last name. You can look me up, Larissa Lawrence at E-C-L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. I was on the cover of the Rocky Mountain News in color in like 2005 before all these people rushed in. You know, I'm that lady. I'm the lady that people open the door walking in the store and they're like, oh, it's the weed lady. You know, like <laughs> that's me. People don't, you know, and we talked about this before the podcast, you know, it's hard. A lot of people don't want to share history right now because of the egos. But, you know, there's reasons why I have the Consumer Coalition. It's not because I'm arrogant and um, narcissistic and think that I'm just going to bully people and call them out. No it's because I have a business background with a policy background. And I'm like, no, this is not how business should be done. So that's why I founded the Consumer Coalition. I've been consulting in cannabis since 2008. When I dissolved my dispensary, I had, I, I had already actually up until that point been working, doing, um, like I did all of our communications and then I started writing for the 420 rally and I started building on that. And then that led into business consulting where like in 2010, someone asked me to write a business plan and I remember they're not being the fact book and all the other data that we could access now. And I had to use everything from my head, but I know the market so well that I can predict it now. So much so that, I mean, I have investors on Facebook and LinkedIn that are just like, Hey, messaging me, like, what do you, and I'm like, I can't, you know, I mean, like, you're going to have to pay me for this information. <laughs> So, you know, um, and then that, that grew into bowl, you know, that's Boulevard Consulting. Um, I have another consulting business and a business partner, but she and I have been so busy, busy consulting that we haven't even launched our webpage yet. Um, and that's called Canavate. And um, she's a, an attorney, a business attorney in Chicago. And she just applied for one of those licenses and didn't get it. And so now we're embroiled in that mess. But um, I also, and then um, I founded, uh, Boulevard Hemp um, in uh, 2018, not that long ago. And the reason being was, I, I heard rumors about myself recently that I failed in weed and now I'm in hemp. And I'm like, no, I have to bat people off when like consulting, like my business partner dragged me into consulting because I stopped doing licensing. Once I saw that it was corrupt and I saw that back in Nevada, the second round, 
I'm like, I'm, I can't, I can't. I, I, I want the end of the drug war. Yes. I think those rules are stupid, but I support antitrust, anti, you know, I mean, I support an ethical industry, period, right? So I didn't want to write license and do that anymore. So, and that was my bread and butter and I was bringing in really good money. And um, she convinced me to go back because I have, you know, my significant other is a 30 year cultivator and a master, you know, he's an extraction artist. It's stupid not for us not to consult. So yes, I'm still doing that and I'm still quite successful in that. But I launched Boulevard Hemp Company because I have a huge family. I have like a hundred cousins. I have so many people in my family that would, that will never, ever, 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 ever try a full THC product. But all of them, it seems, were asking me where to get hemp products. I'm like, well, hell, <laughs> I, I'm, I, you know, I mean, my life partner is an extraction artist. I had already uh, had launched Boulevard Hemp and was white labeling it and was had, you know, creative flexibility on other products, but there wasn't a good mesh between me and, and the extraction company that I was working with initially. Um, and so I, you know, I said, screw it, I'm just going to go out on my own and started, you know, working in a, in a lab and we just, that, that's how that launched. And it's very successful. Um, this is probably where I could use the coaching is I'm literally, you know, I'm, I'm, I actually have the problem that you want to have in business where I have the leaky, it's like a plumber with the leaky faucet where I have investors banging on my door. Like, Hey, where's your performer? Hey, where's your performer? Hey, where's your performer? But yet I'm so busy trying to do everything else that it's literally the last thing I get to. Now I have hired someone, um, to help with that. And that actually started this week because that's literally free money in our space. And so <laughs> it's like silly not to have your own business plan done when you actually write them for a living. And so, and, and I know, you know, I know all the numbers. So, but like for me, my weaknesses are, I hate data entry. So for me, a performa is like data entry. I have to put in numbers and I'd rather bang my head against the wall. The market research, I hate doing because I know it. Like, I feel like I'm like, reading a manual on how to be me. Like, <laughs> so annoying. Like, but I have to, in order to show the investors that I know what the heck I'm talking about, I have to cite my sources, which means I have to research. So, so it's that. And then believe it or not, even though I speak publicly and I do events, I'm painfully shy. Networking, getting on phone calls, doing this, all of this is like, I just force myself to do it, but you know, in, in the in the realm of coaching, with all of this experience, I would say, and 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 I would say, all this, the the wisest thing. I love this 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 podcast that you're doing because the best thing that any executive or leader can do is get coaching. None of us know everything. None of us are gods. Never be a slave to your ego. Always be open to criticism. Always, always, always. In fact. I will post on Facebook and be like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> like, well, you know, because yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just want to jump in. I love, I, first of all, I didn't ask Larissa to say that that was totally of her own accord, but I, I love that. And it reminds me of something I heard years ago, which is, you know, the, the highest performers, if you look at sports, business, art, whatever, 
they seek criticism. You know, they don't avoid it. So many people, like you said, have that, you know, have that ego thing or, or really they just don't like it because it's uncomfortable. But the top performers actually seek that. And that's why, you know, the, the LeBron Jameses of the world and whatever, you know, they have multiple coaches because then they get multiple perspectives on, hey, here's this little thing that you can do better. And here's how you get from, you know, being in the 95th percentile to the 99th percentile or, or whatever, where, you know, once you're at that elite level, it's really, you know, kind of small things. Usually it's going to be the little details that end up making the big differences. So, yes. you know, the and, devil's in the details. Absolutely. And then, <laughs> you know, there's one other thing you said that I love because I completely relate to this, which is it's so easy. Sometimes what we do for others it, it, that comes so easily or, or naturally to do for ourselves. So sometimes is just so difficult. And it's, it's like this, I, I can't quite understand it. I, I guess we're like, you know, it's like you're too close to the elephant or something. So, you, you, you know, it's, I, I don't know, but I have that same thing. Like, you know, I, I can't coach myself, you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> anyway, Larissa, I, I want to, I want to, ask you a couple of questions because you have so much experience in this industry and not only so much experience but it's so multifaceted from the business side the advocacy side political reform side you know all across the board ancillary plant touching and i'm i'm just you know i have a million questions for you but i i guess i'm wondering let, let's talk about where the industry is today and you know you've seen it transform over the years and we talked a little about this offline but you know i'm i'm curious from your perspective of where we are today what are we doing really well as an industry and where is there still room for improvement what are we not doing so well as an industry so i think where we're excelling as an industry is innovation just the things that, I mean, like, you know, we're testing out LED lights right now. And I'm like, the the technology, like we have lights coming in that you can spray clean. Um, it's just, and the way the plants grow, I'm so enamored by it that we are using LED lights on our home, on our house plants. I don't know if you can see, but we don't just grow leaves. It's a lot of, I, I'm just surrounded by plants and I have a, a, a vegetable garden and flower garden. Um, but the innovation, um, and not just innovation and technology, but just you know, the space that we're in, I think that cannabis attracts creatives. And mm. so, you know, whether that's going to be in marketing or we have to be creative. Marketing is actually a really great example of this because we have so many restrictions. And so um, that, and even accounting, accounting sounds so boring, but it's like so critical to your business. Like you, like the main job of a CEO is raising money and managing budgets. Like it's like, <laughs> you have to know accounting. Well, we have to be really creative because especially if you're running a dispensary or a cultivation, you don't have the traditional tax write-offs. And then, um, and then you have to be innovative because of just the nuances of doing business. You know, you, we don't have interstate commerce. We don't have the traditional aspects of doing business. So I just think that that's, that's something that we're doing well. Um, and I really love how we're attracting. Another thing we're really doing well is attracting talent from other spaces. Um, 
is another thing that we're doing well. And we're, we're really attracting the youth of ours, of them, of, of just, you know, I, I um, have a, an apartment that I rent out and I, my two tenants are two young college girls. And once they found out, you know, who I was and what I did, they're like, I want to intern. I want to do this. I want to do that. Like, please. <laughs> Anything. So the, you know, and um, so I think we're doing really well with recruiting and, you know, bridging the, the corporate to cannabis gap and actually making cannabis a legitimate industry. Um, where I think we're failing and we, you know, you mentioned ego, egos. I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. Um, we're failing in, you know, getting along. We're failing in understanding that in cannabis is unlike any other industry where, um, and I like to tell the history of cannabis regulation. The history of legalization is different right? Like there's the, there's the normal folks. And, and then, you know, from 50 years ago now, and then, then you had MPP join in, in 1995 and they basically kind of came in and, you know, sort of regulating everything that all the activists were doing. And so when you look at it historically, you see all these newer people coming in and pushing out the older people, but it was our, you know, like I inherited the dismantle from the people who started the anti-establishment movement. And that's what cannabis was. And it wasn't anti, you know, and, and in that movement, you had all these different philosophies and yes, you had socialists and yes, you had whatever the far, you know, fascists or whatever, you know, communists, whatever. But in the middle, you had a whole bunch of people that did not like the way the world was going, period. They saw that, you know, and, and a lot of that, you know, that's my family background too. My family is uh, not only Peruvian, but we're also part black, like 5% white, basically, right? So I've seen this play out um, on a global scale, actually. And so, you know, this, this counterculture movement was started to have a different way. And so ironically, here comes cannabis. Cannabis is a renewable resource, no matter what. It's, it's renewable, it's a plant and, it, and it's a weed and it actually cleans the dirt. I mean, it's just this crazy thing. You think God put it here, right? And so- <laughs> Yeah, thank you, mother nature. <laughs> So um, what makes us, what, what makes cannabis policy interesting is that in Colorado, we're an oil and gas state and that, that is a dying industry. That's why, you, you know, on a larger political scale, and we can have a whole conversation on this is United States founded oil and we went from the gold standard to the black oil standard, basically. And the, and, and the whole entire global economy is run on oil and gas. So that's, that's going away. Now we're having to figure out how to fix that so that we, you know, the like, economies don't die. And that's literally the, 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 what we're facing. And that's what you're seeing. All the fighting is at the top. And so with cannabis, you have people that are leaving the dying industries and even pharma is losing respect because they're killing people. And so you have people move over from pharma, you have people move over from big oil, and they're operating in a scarcity mindset, they're, which is war, fighting, negative ads this and that and what have you. Well, that's the, that's the foundation of cannabis. Cannabis was legalized first recreationally in Colorado. Colorado is an oil and gas state. We, a lot of the lobbyists that created, that, that helped create regulations came from banking, came from oil, came from pharma. One lady was actually, uh, actually headed uh, anti-state uh, funded diversity campaign, an anti-affirmative action campaign. One of the black guys and one of the black lobbyists, well-known lobbyists in Colorado handed, headed an anti-affirmative action campaign. 
people wonder why we don't have social equity. That's why we don't have social equity. I literally had to get a Republican lobbyist this year to get a Republican sponsor to pass social equity because I we discovered that they were withholding the social equity bill. And I'm, that's all I'm gonna say about that, but that's the historical fact. <clears throat> we would not have had social equity in Colorado this year if it was not for me going way left because I was part of a Colorado equity coalition. I realized that my emails were being ignored. I saw people using my suggestions in their own emails after ignoring me. And I'm like, this is not gonna happen. And the reason why this is happening to me, it's not because I'm a victim. This all goes back to the consumer coalition. I called out the first pesticide violators. A lot of these pesticide violators are either in office working as policy folks or their friends are friends with the governor. So very messy, very, very messy. But that, all that ugly helped me understand really the ego issues in cannabis. You know, everybody wants credit for being first. Everybody wants credit for doing this. You know, we, but, but yet we, we all had to get together in unity to even legalize it. So you're alienating so many of, of your base at this point. Also, with this scarcity thing, they, they use the coal memo to justify creating a limited licensing scheme with high suitability requirements to where you have to be a millionaire. You literally have to be a millionaire to get into cannabis. Cannabis, unlike any other industry, you have to raise money before you even get your business loan. Like normally how businesses work, and this is when you get out of the scarcity mindset into abundance. If you have a good business plan and if you can show that you can make money, someone will give you money to make that money and they will help you manage that money to make that money. It's not nefarious, it's not scary. It's really that easy. Once I figured out how easy it was, overnight I started managing a million dollars in assets. Like literally in one year, once I realized that there's an abundance and you know, that's something we can talk about maybe after I dissect the problems of cannabis industry. But you know, they're, they're really it. We shouldn't even be fighting over this. We should just be running with our ideas and writing business plans and not even being scared. There's so much possibility and abundance in cannabis and hemp. But then you have egos. Now, 30 years in cannabis, I do use cannabis spiritually. I have actually studied, you know, that's, that's actually a private personal passion of mine is, is religion and, and religious studies. I'm very spiritual. And cannabis is an ancient sacred herb that was used to work on the mind, body, and spirit. This is why it brings homeostasis. So we have all these people that are running around, they're using it for their bodies, but there's a mental health stigma. So people just don't even think about using it for their minds. You're using a substance that is literally meant to connect you to your higher power. So every negative thought, every positive thought, everything you do is being magnified with cannabis. So now we have this ego issue. This is what I see on a, on a higher level. We have this undiagnosed ego problem with, coupled with the green rush, with the mentality of a gold rush, which basically slaughtered all the Indians in the United States. And then they're trying to bring this mentality into cannabis. It's not going to work. Cannabis is not oil and gas. It's not big pharma. You're never going to have five people control the whole thing. But that's what's happened. So now you had all the, these, these overly restricted fear-based regulations that very smart lobbyists learned to manipulate to the advantage of their clients who then took that model and spread it around the rest of the country like it was the best model and now we have a monopoly, you know? 
that my the cannabis consumers coalition just came out with a report and i can't get any media on it because we have we have issues with the arizona bill there's five companies paid for the whole dang bill five companies paid for the whole bill and we are and i know what i just went through is social equity i mean literally it was that ugly the protectionism is that ugly when you when you follow the money and you follow when you follow it really closely it does not look good because the companies that are uh monopolizing in arizona monopolize illinois and one of the head companies that monopolize illinois a well-known consulting firm wrote their initial applications and with they're all they're all connected which this is this is me being having a master's in public policy with a concentration of cannabis policy reform. I graduated in 2015, all new knowledge. This is just me being me, right? I'm not a federal agent. I'm not a cop. I'm not anything, right? Now, if I already can see this, guess who's looking at our industry right now? The Justice Department. Guess what the number one thing is that they investigate? Corruption. Corruption. So here we are, these handful of people who thought they were entitled to create regulations around an entire industry because of their ego, spread this very illegal model that is unconstitutional to the rest of the country. Now, if we don't fix this ourselves, the feds will come in and fix it for us. And we can't, we can't even legalize legally. <laughs> well, you know they're gonna say, well, you can't even run the industry legally. So we need to clean this up. This isn't me going after my competitors. This isn't me being ugly and hateful against five people. Not at all. This is me having been in this game 10 years prior to these people who came in being like, no, 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 no. This is not how we're operating. And I'm not the only one saying this. I'm just really loud. And my media has always been organic. You know, I do send out probably more press releases lately because I've been really active working on policy. We have a 501c4 that we're that you know we're we're building. We're allowed to do that now, um, but you know, in the reality, for me, it's I'm looking out for the greater good for the greatest amount of people, and I, I we need to get into the abundance mindset and realize that we can create from possibility in cannabis. It doesn't have to be the scarcity mindset. This infighting, we need to honor the OGs. I by not honoring the OGs, we are creating more harm. And if the intent is to eliminate harm and to repair harm and that's the whole conversation with social equity and that's why i put my freaking staff down and was like no you're not using social equity for your greedy egotistical ends you're not the the, the buck stops here because you can't manipulate that conversation because that conversation means creating a level playing field and repairing the harm and cannabis specifically repairing those harms so you can't talk about repairing those harms and then doing a media blockade on the freaking OGs that risk their lives. Like you can't do that because it will come back. I am not the only person. I'm the only, put it this way. I am the person who spoke up and then all the OGs who were afraid to speak up. <laughs> I'm talking some really powerful people who have been quiet, have been coming to me. So, I mean, that's the reality. They can shut me up. Heck, somebody could kill me tomorrow, but there's going to be a whole army behind me and there's a person ready right now to tell my story and to tell the rest of the story because I made sure to ensure that other that that this truth was told because truth to power is a very scary uh, role to play, but in our space for survivability, not just for our own businesses, but for the industry that I 
literally was raided for, home invaded. You know, so I experienced violence to get this done. And I will not let a handful of greedy people who, you know, one guy who helped write the license for one of the big companies in uh, 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 Illinois calls his other company in cannabis. He tells the public he's not in cannabis and now he is again. And it's standard uh, cannabis or standard something. Well, okay, dissect that standard oil. We literally have people with the mindset of trying to take over the entire thing. And all you have to do is deconstruct their behavior and brands. It's easy for me to do because I have that training, but like we need to get ahead of this because these people also have a lot of money and the media is sucking up to them because they're paying all the advertising. So now in cannabis, not only do we have illegal licensing, unconstitutional licensing, an essential heist of customers because this, unlike other industries, the cannabis industry was already well-developed. It was just duty-free. <laughs> That's awesome. But it was the billion dollar plus unquantified industry when that is the incentive for someone to come in and be like, hey, activists, we know you've been helping these thousands of people for all these years, but we're going to make it so that we're going to just take them. We're going to write a license scheme that you can't come and get them back. And then we're going to try to write you out of history. That's literally what's happening. That is not me being paranoid. That is not me being you know, a whacktivist. That is me being a very professional, very successful businesswoman and policy worker who has successfully passed laws, who is making this claim, you know, that is substantiated by so many other people that you just don't even see behind me, but they're there, you know, they're just, you know, I'm just loud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, I I appreciate it because somebody has to speak up and, you know, especially saying, the unpopular things or the controversial things or or the things that may not make friends is especially necessary and and a courageous act so i i appreciate it and i thank you and i just want to respond to a couple of things you said because um it's literally like the same principles that i put in my book my latest book yes the cannabis oh, business book which is, that is a new one? This is a new one. And Larissa, fun fact, was in my first book. You know, she was one of the, the originals up in, you know, this, this antique. You can't even get this physical copy. This is, this is an antique. But here's it the is? new one. I have one. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's a, maybe it's a collectible <laughs> one day. But, you know, one of the things I talk about on the book, the Cannabis Business book, which is available on Amazon, is, you know, a couple of things that you said that I, I just want to highlight. One is and really this is the whole book is about what I call the high mindset, which is really just the abundance mindset and and appreciating and infusing everything that you do in this community, in this industry with the spirit of abundance. And that, like you said, this is a renewable resource. This is an unlimited resource. You know, most people have no idea, unfortunately, you know, how powerful the hemp plant is, how powerful cannabis is. You know, I, I make the argument, I, I get into a little bit of history of, you know, that basically this plant has sustained human life and allowed humans to, to you know, sail the seas, to, to feed themselves, to, you know, all of this stuff that without the cannabis plant, we would be probably still in the cave playing with sticks, trying to make fire. Um, And then, so a couple of other points that you touched on, you know, when you have 
these bad actors or or anyone for that matter you don't have to be a bad actor but you know one bad decision one bad action can bring down this industry you know and, and i don't mean to sound you know dramatic or alarmist with that but the fact is there's so much scrutiny this is the most scrutinized industry that i'm aware of in the world and perhaps i'm biased but you know there's people who would just be thrilled for bad news to happen in cannabis or or something that they could you know um throw the baby out with the bathwater and say oh hey there's you know so and so did this bad thing so and so you know was corrupt so this whole industry is corrupt and then you know you you have another whole you know propaganda campaign like just say no or or whatever it's that easy for things to be flipped around and for the whole industry to suffer because of a couple of bad apples. So, you know, I, I think that's something that's crucially important. And, and because of that, you know, it's one of the things I argue, and this is partially inspired by you and your work with the Cannabis Consumers Coalition, is that we need to police ourselves. We as an industry, as a community, have to not only self-regulate, but also hold ourselves to a higher standard than anyone else can expect or, or hold us to because the risk of, you know, if somebody messes up, it, it could ruin things for everyone. So uh, I think that, you know, you touched on a lot of those topics and I'm, I'm just thrilled to echo those. And, and, you know, one other thing that you said that, that is not in the book, but something that, that I really, you know, I'm struck by is, I'll call it your succession plan in a way where, you know, which is, I think, one of the most overlooked aspects of business leadership, right? You know, there's, and, and there's this quote in my book from Garen Angel, who says, you know, your job is to put yourself out of business, which, <laughs> yeah. which is great, which is phenomenal. Like, you know, when I first heard that, I was like, whoa like yeah that's that's good but but the point of it is you know the succession plan how do you replace yourself and keep things moving and and really build something that will keep contributing keep functioning keep growing once you remove yourself from it i i think is one of the most you know, difficult and yet important aspects of business and, mm -hmm. you know, doesn't get enough, nearly enough discussion, honestly, because few people even get to that stage. Um, but, you know, I love that you said like, hey, you know, I'm going to tell this story. The truth will come out, whether it comes from me or from <laughs> others. And, you know, from what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like that's something that you've, you know, you've thought that far ahead. And, you know, I, I just want to encourage everyone who's who might be watching or listening or, or running a business or thinking about starting a business, you know, you have to plan for success. That's kind of almost the definition yes. of succession. <laughs> it's like, what happens? It's not the end. People, people are like, succession? You mean I have to plan for what happens when I die? And it's so <laughs> drastic that they ignore it like people ignore their wills, right? right? No. If you're a business person, you need to have a will and a succession plan. And that is literally what happens if anything happens. What if you want to retire? You get tired. Who's going to run everything for you? <laughs> Who's going to, you, you have a legacy. 
you so many of us in cannabis don't even realize that we're we are living legacies it's not just me it's you look at your i mean i'm so thrilled that you have another book by the way like i am buying it right now and didn't even and i'm sorry i just now started getting back into linkedin i, I got sucked into facebook because of the activism side and then i'm like oh wait this is where all the knowledge is at you got fighting knowledge <laughs> and so <laughs> but um and you know and it's funny because it's funny that you bring that up because I've literally been doing that also uh, just reaching out to family. You know, I reached out to my sister, like, you know, do any of your kids, are any of your kids interested in cannabis? Would they be? Well, I don't know. And I'm like, just trying to figure out, I've got this, 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 this thing that I have to pass to someone. Otherwise it's just all going to fall apart. And so, you know, that's, that's literally what we've been doing. I had a conversation this morning with who I would put in charge of Boulevard Hemp, who, you know, I'm literally, he's like a son to us. And he's uh, uh, working at, at another lab right now and going to be coming back to our, you know, we just moved, we, we had like a lot of moves recently. And he, his biggest problem is that he's too good of a manager and he's threatening his management. Oof. He's that good. <laughs> he's like 22, 23. And so, you know, sometimes it's not your own family you end up grooming. But it's so important. And the reason why I got into even that thinking and pattern is, again, it goes back to Gridpoint, like working at Gridpoint and watching Peter build the company and watching the people helping him build the company. And again, we're talking about all the big names in New York, all the big banks um, and investors. And so, you know, and I used to write, I used to, there are nights that I was up till two, three in the morning at the office doing the board decks myself. So like literally learning the meats and potatoes of this company just by doing work for them. And that was something that was really big that I never learned in business before where I, um, where I was helping organize, like building a trust for the CEO and building, you know, and I'm like, what's going on with, oh, succession planning. So these things are very important. This is why business people will have a separate trust to house your assets because, and then have someone completely not you manage it because you're not personally attached. And then you don't have to worry about your family. And I mean, it's, it's actually very, very important and it is planning for success. And, you know, for me, success, um, you know, and, and cannabis was not an overnight thing. And that's the other thing that I think that people have to understand, what does success look like in cannabis? And that looks different to every single person. What looks like to success for one person could be having their product on every single shelf in every single store in every country of the world, right? What looks like success for someone else could be passing that monumental bill that saves millions of lives. We just don't know. But we have to realize that what, regardless of what we're doing, there are people that benefit from what we do and we have to look out for those people. And cannabis is movement. Like this is something that I inherited. You know, it's funny, a lot of people call me a young OG. You know, I'm only in my four OGs are like in their six, seven, 80s. And that's because my mentor was murdered and he literally handed me and a handful of us all, we were his secession plan, it's plain and simple. Um, and it, and it was really ugly. Like my, when he was murdered, um, people, my ex-husband was interviewed as a suspect. He didn't kill him. Um, he didn't, we, nobody had in circle anything to gain from his death. And, um, but because people were so jealous that we were in the media to begin with, and that Ken had handpicked us and this lady, Doreen Bishop, who, you know, people look up in the media, she's literally who handed me my, uh, uniform, my crown and sword, if you will. You know what I mean? She was Doreen's white 
uh, uh, right hand, she's not even white, she's Chicana, but <laughs> right hand woman who helped him with all of the activism stuff and they were just kind of old and tired. And um, I honestly think Ken was murdered to get him out of the way because he was a huge social justice advocate and the legalization, I'm not gonna say cannabis killed him, but somebody benefited from his death and they dragged so many people through the mud because they did not want that secession plan to happen the way it was happening. Does that make sense? So this plan was not to give cannabis to five people. The plan was to create a model where cannabis was legalized and regulated like tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Basically, anybody can grow it. And the safety side would have been addressed like medicine or safety, I mean, the, 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 or uh, education, excuse me. That was the plan. So because people don't die from consuming cannabis, so there's no need to regulate it like napalm. Like you're saying, it is highly regulated, unnecessarily so. Well, these regulations are actually protectionist. And so that, so whatever happened to the old movement, there has been a very much collective effort to do away with that old paradigm because it benefits the newer folks who came in to control that billion dollar industry. I was interviewed by uh, Anonymous and a podcast and they think the cops killed Ken. The cops say they have the suspect in prison as a white supremacist guy. The bottom line is that this guy was murdered. They have not found the murder and he has a live secession plan that's not even getting media coverage. There is a secession plan in cannabis. That's the OGs. <laughs> and we try, we try teaching everybody else how to carry that forward. And then all of a sudden, these people who weren't around, you know, like MPP was around and Safer was around and Sensible Colorado was around. And they, I never knew who they were until I got raided, actually. Here I was with Ken and everybody else. We didn't want media. I did not want media ever, ever. Okay. <laughs> My dad, being as conservative as he is, coming from a high profile family in Latin America with a mom who worked in law enforcement, I didn't want media. When I got raided, I got media. When, uh, and Ken was getting media. Ken was media. That's why I didn't want media also. People, like, a lot of the, the people were calling him a child molester and that, and like, work that he did and you know, Papua New Guinea that was actually good work was actually because he was diddling little boys. They literally, and I don't wanna go into that, but that's how bad it is when you get into media. People just drag you through the mud. That's what happened to the cannabis secession plan. But those people are still here. Mm. We're just sitting around like, this is not the plan. Mm. And then every time we try to say something, the, you know, the newer folks that want to capitalize on the market for themselves shut us out and they have more money. They have more energy. They haven't been raided. They haven't been robbed, raped, taken hostage, haven't had their mentors murdered. So for me, just the secession plan in cannabis isn't just who's going to run my business, who, what, what's going to happen when I'm on that yacht finally, you know, doing whatever I want to do when I don't have to worry about answering the phone call again. That's what I see success. And, you know, but it's also ensuring that the legacy, because we are all living this legacy of cannabis is followed through on. 
because there was a clear intent. There was a clear intent to open, you know, there, there was an establishment and an anti-establishment. The establishment in the United States historically was racist. They were, you know, they, they picked on everybody that did not follow the rules, that didn't go to church every Sunday, that, you know, and that, that was a way to control the populace. You know, you put everybody in a box, you give them religion, you create fear, and everybody's going to do the same thing all the time. Well, you're going to have free thinkers, and cannabis is a substance that opens your mind, that are going to break from that mold, and they're going to say, we don't like any of this. And the thing is, is now we're at a point to where we did not fulfill the goals of the, in the secession plan of this movement, which probably would have rescued our country you know, from the state it is now, because now you have a whole generation coming up that hates capitalism, which is insane to me. When, I mean, it's absolutely insane to me because I love capitalism. I love the fact that I can be industrious and someone will give me money for it. Capitalism <laughs> 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 is when you strip it down to its bare bone basics is someone getting rewarded for their behavior. I have a degree in psychology. The best way to have the best behavior out of every single person is a reward system. Punishment doesn't work. It's reinforcing negative. I mean, this is just, this is so basic to me because it's so basic to psychology, right? Capitalism is that mechanism to reward behavior. And it also ensures democracy because everybody votes to elect representatives to kind of represent their shares in this country, right? I mean, I, it's not the perfect example, but I just kind of stick with me here. So, and that is how we ensure our democracy, right? It's through capitalism, through reward, rewarding behavior. Socialism is what cannabis is right now, okay? Where you have like three people in office grading papers, and then you have those companies giving the money saying, hey, put my paper up, put my paper up. Because you have the winners and new losers, not the actual business people. You have someone literally, this is what happened to me, actually. I'm literally credited for find, founding one of the first dispensaries in the state, but I did it pre-licensing, right? So years ago, I get the Denver Business Journal in my office in Virginia after I left Colorado. And I'm seeing, there's a, there's a couple that's being heralded as the first dispensary owners in Colorado. That pisses me off. So I, that, that actually made me mad because this couple tried stealing my, my business. Long story short, I contacted the Denver Business Journal. I send them all my filing paperwork newspaper articles, they print a retraction and they literally print in the retraction correction, the Cannabis Consumers Coalition was the first dispensary in the state of Colorado. That, I can send that to you in an email. Like that is a historical fact. People tried smearing the Colorado Compassion Club by, by trying to make it like we killed Ken. I'm friends with Ken's family. Like they are like family and not kill him. But that's, you know, I have a certain, like, attorneys that will defend me and say that we were the first in everything. And then you have the people that came in afterwards to take it away, say, oh, what, they weren't the first. You know why, like, they will say I wasn't the first. They will literally say, oh, well, this was their argument, defending the other company. Well, they, they got their license. And I'm like, okay, well, so are you telling me that if two people run a race and one crosses the finish line, that the person that stays and signs up for another race is actually the winner because that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's funny. so I do have uh, some cannabis attorneys that will argue that I was the first. I don't say that because of the egos. I don't know who else was around in Colorado, 
I have people that get mad, but at the same time, my mentor who I got the secession plan for was the guy who got all of this started in Colorado. So I can speak to all of this. I can have a nonprofit that polices the industry. I can, it's not an arrogant thing. I literally feel Ken's spirit saying, what the hell? Five people can't control all the cannabis. That's insane. That's insane. Hemp alone has a trillion dollar economic impact. Now, business people, you know, they, they, you know, what that means to non-business people is you have your market share and, and each company, each industry has an impact on other economies. So if hemp can replace oil, which it can, and it can make plastics and it can make other things, then you are literally looking at an industry with a trillion dollar economic impact. None of us should be fighting. Not at all. It's actually stupid for any of us to be fighting. We should all be encouraging each other. You know, I have, I have plenty of other hemp product companies that I'm friends with, you know, and we have our own lanes and sometimes, you know, we have similar products, you know, let the best man win. It's a race. It's not, you know, you know, when did competition turn into lying, hurting people? You know, why, whatever happened to clean sports? Why can't, we, why can't we instill that? We have the opportunity to create a whole new paradigm on how business and industry is conducted. Let's do it. Absolutely. Let's, I let's do it. <laughs> couldn't agree with you more. I say the same stuff in the book where it's like, there is more than enough cannabis opportunity and, and wealth potential like for everyone. And in <laughs> fact, if we, you know, again, it's that kind of scarcity mindset of, you know, or the, oh, what is it called? The words escaping me of the, the zero sum game, you know, where yes. for me to, if someone else is winning, then I'm losing or, or for me to win, someone else has to lose when in reality, you know, if you pay attention to the cannabis plant, I believe it will teach you that, you know, we have everything. You know, this plant, between this plant and like a few other plants, we have everything. Like food, water, this plant, and we're good. You know, everything else is just yeah. really kind of nonsense <laughs> and ego stuff. Um, Larissa, I want to ask you, what is your highest power? What is it that's allowed you to, to persevere and, and survive through all this stuff you've gone to and still succeed as silly as this sounds my ability to get seven to eight hours of sleep at night <laughs> <laughs> it's literally some some ceos thrive on just two hours of sleep but i that and knowing knowing my schedule and knowing my limitations but that all, that all kind of plays into itself you know um but really just having that reset and waking up every single day like it's a new day i'm not exhausted from the day before i think it helps you know it, it i mean I, I really think that that's it um and you know the support um you know just just the support that i have you know and and yeah i mean really just being able to self-care because you so, need it in this space oh <laughs> yes absolutely absolutely and you know just Entrepreneurship is, is especially in cannabis, I like to say you're sprinting the marathon in cannabis. So you have to take care of 
not only your your physical well-being but also your social and emotional spiritual well-being because boy it will sure get tested in this space and yeah. so i'm hearing that your highest power is your ability to renew you, you know renewal rest regeneration and just maintaining that level of enthusiasm and commitment and i'm i'm going to i'm going to offer what i'm hearing some you know what i'm hearing from you that i think is goes hand in hand with all that which you know i i kind of am viewing as a superpower of yours is courage and and fearlessness <laughs> and you know it, it's interesting to me because i think for a lot of people I think for the for most people were they to go through and experience some of the losses, challenges, setbacks that you've experienced they would have quit years ago. You know, and instead, you know, what I what I'm hearing from you is really um a quality of anti-fragileness where <laughs> like all that stuff has just made you more fearless because you're like well I I went through this went through that went through this like I'm still here I'm not going to let that slow me down and which is not to say that that stuff doesn't have you know residual consequences and doesn't still hurt and all that stuff totally get that but you know the fact that you have gone through the fire and you're just like still like um my work isn't done you know um i i think that takes uh, a tremendous amount of not only courage but also commitment and dedication so i i want to offer that as a potential potential superpower of yours you know when you're not sleeping <laughs> <laughs> well you know i'm a very uh, active dreamer too which is really funny i don't know if i ever actually get rest i feel very rested though when i do wake up but um you don't, yeah I thank you the courage thing is, you know, and that and that and courage is moving through the face of fear. So there, there's definitely been moments where I've had a tremendous amount of fear, but nothing in comparison to what I used to fear before. Nothing like the night I felt when the cops were in my house and I was getting raided. Literally, if you can survive this, and I've had that situation so many times. It's like what you say, like other things that come. Some of the, I don't break a sweat in some of the most insane situations where people are like, do you have feelings at all? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I just know that this is going to be okay. <laughs> Things that do worry me, climate change, that, that, that actually scares the shit out of me. <laughs> I do worry about things, but they're, um, they're more existential. And I do think, you know, I mean, call me idealistic, but I do think that hope uh, is what also keeps me going. Um, but I do have hope that cannabis um, and hemp is going, you know, in particular, is going to address a lot of these crises that we're facing uh, now as a society. And, you know, I do think that, you know, I used to tease all my hippie predecessors uh, that, you know, handed me off this mantle about, you know, the age of Aquarius and, and what have you, but I think they were onto something. I think that we are experiencing a new uh, growth in, you know, just humanity. And I think that as we shift out of other paradigms, cannabis looks to me to be like that lead. I can't see it any other way. 
I agree with and you. Thank and, you. And oh, please. And and you know, I think one of the th toughest parts for me in my cannabis journey has been maintaining that idealistic vision or that optimism and that hope and faith that cannabis will persevere and that you know because i see it as also like you mentioned climate change like hemp is a big part of that solution and for me you know i i over the years have sometimes my my faith and optimism has wavered because i've seen a lot of the stuff you've described where you know industry dominates the community values or the counterculture kind of legacy heart and soul of cannabis and you know there are moments where i was like like shit we're like we're fucked you know industry <laughs> this is going to be yeah. like any other industry and it's just going to be exploitative and you know like hum humans are doomed and uh you know <laughs> I, I, it's been, I've, I've been there trust me i've been there too <laughs> right right and I, and I think that's a big part I, I think that's almost par for the course if you're in this long enough where you're gonna see you know some things at least in the short term it seems like things aren't moving in the right direction sometimes and you know in those moments i've, I've found it helpful to remind myself that like you said, cannabis is a sacred plant. I, I believe this plant is more magical with more consciousness than most people give it credit for. And, you know, perhaps this is like woo-woo, hippie, spiritual philosophy, but that's okay. I, I think in the long term, the plant won't allow these exploiters or whatever to win, you know, because I, I think it's going to take... I don't know. And if they do, like, kudos, I guess. But, like, you know, I think it's going to take a whole new level of, like, brainwashing and corruption to get people to to consume, like, you know, Costco weed or, or Walmart weed or, or whatever. And, and, you know, I think there's always going to be a demand for, uh, I guess cannabis with integrity, cannabis that's truly compassionate from, you know, grown by people who, who believe in it, who have, you know, uh, uh, for whom it's a calling and not just uh, a cash crop. So, you know, I, I'm optimistic that, that, that the light will persevere. And, you know, even, I, I feel like even if humanity implodes or, or if we destroy ourselves cannabis will will keep living and and will will survive so we we won't ruin it all i don't think but and anyway i, I, I want to we'll ruin gears. ourselves first we're doing good at that actually oh yes we're, we're, we're like epic at fantastic doing that. yeah it's amazing <laughs> if only that was rewarded in uh you know Followed Except. by denial. Like if we're if humans are good at anything, it's creating our own destruction and denying it. <laughs> right, 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 right. We're just just destruction across the board, not just for ourselves. But um, Larissa, I I want to I want to ask you one more question, and then I unfortunately have another commitment in in a few minutes. So 
if it's okay with you, I'd love for us to do a part two where we can do the coaching and, and, you know, maybe chat some more about like uh, other fun topics, but I love this. I'm so glad we got a chance to talk and do this because this is, this right here is where the hope comes from because there's a lot of us like this, you know, we just have to stick together and just keep that message going. And even if we have that in our head, as like in the back of our mind, we're still creating intention, you know, and we're smoking mm-hmm. a powerful substance while doing that. <laughs> so so before, before I let you go, I want to ask you if you have any advice for specifically for women or black indigenous and people of color who may want to get into the industry or participate in the movement and, you know, may not have those millions of dollars that, are unfortunately increasingly necessary to be on the on the licensed you know plant touching side of things so what i like to do i like to use myself as an example for that because um i mean i i boulevard hello i i deal with prejudice every day on all kinds of levels just by having a hispanic last name and so that can mean not even getting emails returned um, you know, looking for real estate and just, you know, things like that, that people of color deal with, um, that seems to be magnified in cannabis because of the licensing scheme. And then what seems to be overlooked is the ancillary space. So, you know, even if you want to be a cannabis license touching business, that licensing is a nuance right now that we're still working on. And this is definitely a long game. So, what I would recommend is if you're already interested in cannabis, looking at the, look at the ancillary market. Like I literally on the consulting side, um, you know, that's been my, my, my bread and, and, and butter really this whole time. And um, now I'm unique because I have a long longevity in this and, you know, I'm just kind of like an encyclopedia in my head with cannabis, but outside from that, there's so many other, you know, if you're an accountant, Become an accountant in, in, in cannabis, learn 280E. You know, if you're a marketing professional, bring that into cannabis. Um, you know, if you're already in cannabis, find people, you know, other people of color. Make sure that you guys are holding each other accountable and putting your each other's products up on your shelves. Um, but, you know, finding the resources and getting into the licensing side is very challenging and social equity doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. I think we just have to deregulate the whole thing, the way the licensing is done now, because you can't have the people who already won dividing up that pie. They don't want to share. And that's what's happening right now. So we have to figure this out on our own. Now I literally made enough money on the ancillary side to pay for a bill to make sure that I now qualify to get into the industry as a social equity candidate. (laughs) So be creative is what I'm getting at. Like, you know, and I've, and I've coached a lot of POC in the space and women and LGBT oppressed communities in this space. Um, and doing that, use whatever talent you have. Now we have that need in cannabis. It's a brand new space, you know, clothing, you know, you, you're, you're a seamstress, find some, you know, create a nice suit. Like there's so much possibility and creativeness. And if you're already growing and you're already selling and you want to do it legally, start, you know, it, that, that is probably the hardest part of, of, you know, and I feel like, you know, this could be another show because, 
um, in our communities, we have something known as crabs in the basket. So we, we may reach out to someone who is another person of color thinking that they're going to be sympathetic and they're not. They're actually working with the, the, you know, they may be that one black person with the, all of the other industry people who are like, no, I already got mine. I'm keeping mine. Or that one brown person that we have that, you know, and, and we tend to pull each other down so that one is the scarcity thing. We need to get out of the scarcity mindset. And if you want to grow legally, and you're in a state that's illegal, you know, I can't tell you to keep doing it illegally, but you know, start consulting, find that one person that will vouch for you to say, Hey, you know, my plants were dying and they came in and you know, this person coached us, coached me and now my plants were fine. There's other creative ways to get into it while you're waiting for that. Um, you know, but definitely my advice would be to look into the ancillary space and start building that up to build yourself up. Yes, there's first movers advantage, but the, the first companies in cannabis aren't doing that great. Like big names, they're not. You've got all these investors throwing money at them to keep them alive and they have horrible products. You know, they're pesticide laden, they, they fall apart. You know, there's just disgusting quality. So being first isn't always the best. It just means that, you know, there's more room to create a better marketplace. So I would say patience, sticking within your own community. Don't try, don't depend on other people in cannabis to want to have your best interests. It may not, you know, I know that my, like specifically if I can promote, you know, my consulting service, I actually give free advice to people of color. Um, we will look at operating agreements, for example, for those getting licensing. Um, we will look at operating agreements to make sure, we will look at the operating agreement for free to make sure, you know, it doesn't look squirrely, but if we do find things that are bad or needs to be renegotiated, then that's when we charge. But, you know, there are services and there are people who want to help. Just be very vigilant and careful. Don't share all your secrets all at once, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And I love that so much of what you said, including you know, that advice of take your skills and find a way to apply it on the ancillary side first, because there's no rush, you know, there's, despite the the gold, the green rush or whatever, you have to have a long-term approach and cannabis is going to be around forever. So I love that you independently share a lot of the, the thoughts and advice that I offer in my book. And, you know, it, it, it makes me feel like, okay, I'm not crazy because someone who's more experienced than I am agrees with, with my perspective. So, you know, this is good. This is, I, I feel and, validated. <laughs> and I feel validated actually because I admire you and I always have oh, as a thought leader you. in business and cannabis. And so I feel like I'm on the right path also because you wrote about it. So I feel like there's more hope because if there's two of us, there has to be an army of us. We just have to kind of, you know, draw it in. <laughs> That's right. High minds think alike. Yes. <laughs> and Larissa, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights. And I would love to have you back for a part two where we can chat some more and also do some coaching. And I'm sorry yes. we couldn't get to that today, but we just have a lot of ground to cover. And I feel like we just scratched the surface. But thank you so very much for all that you do. And I want you to just keep rocking on and and being that watchdog and helping the industry to grow in the right way. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. And thank My you pleasure. for helping us have this, this platform to share.
Uh, awesome. It's my honor to do so. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The cannabis business coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The cannabis business coach.